Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CE curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Hello, everyone. My name is Brian Gibbler. I'm Professor of Emergency Medicine at the University of Cincinnati College of Medicine. And I have with me today three experts in anticoagulation and reversal of anticoagulation as it relates to three different fields. Dr. Gregory Furman, also from the University of Cincinnati, is an emergency physician. Dr. Natalie Kreitzer is a neurointensivist, as well as being an emergency physician. And then Dr. Paul Dobish, who is from the University of Nebraska, and he's pharmacist. And all three of these individuals, I think, can provide very interesting perspective on this whole area of an XI, which was just recently, it was stopped in the early in the summer for efficacy of the comparator arm of indexinate alpha, and then was recently presented at the World Stroke Conference in Toronto in, in mid-October. So I will ask you, all three of you, and I want to start with you, Greg, because you see patients coming into the emergency department. What do you see as a potential impact of an XI, now a randomized controlled trial with data? What is what is that going to do, do you think, uh, to the practice of emergency medicine? I believe that more often than not, the decision to reverse a patient with who is identified to have an ICH is often left up to the emergency physician because these folks will present with stroke-like symptoms to the emergency department, and it's and it's a time-dependent condition. So uh, oftentimes it comes to the emergency physician to make a decision to whether or not to reverse a patient or not. And yet, and a lot of factors go into that decision. And prior to an XI, we didn't have much guidance on how to do that. An XI four was a did not have a comparator group, so we were waiting for a comparator group because a lot of us were stuck in in the middle of deciding whether or not we we're going to use indexin and alpha versus four-factor PCCs and, and patient selection. And this gives us a lot more data to, to make those decisions. Uh, thank you, Greg. Natalie, from your perspective, you work in the neurointensive care unit with fellowship training in this area. How do you see this impacting your routine care of, of these patients with intracranial hemorrhage? I agree with Dr. Furman on what he said about these patients being cared for in the emergency department. We know that ICH expansion happens really in the first few hours. And ideally, if patients can receive anticoagulation reversal in those first couple hours, as soon as possible, that's going to impact their outcomes far better you know, than anything we could do later that same day in the neuroscience ICU. So I really agree with his point that this is truly in the realm of emergency physicians. Excellent. And Paul, you come to, you're our colleague from pharmacy coming to to the table. How do you see this impacting the world of pharmacy as it relates to uh, reversal agents and also because you all are obviously, you're a clinical pharmacist, you're somebody that interacts with and are a clinician from that perspective, how do you see that impacting the pharmacy in in, uh, hospitals across the country and the world for that matter? Sure. You know, because I think sometimes that pharmacy seems to be the kind of the stumbling block to using Indexa. And and my hope here is that these data are able to 
get those pharmacies or those hospitals that have not yet added Indexa to formulary or put significant restrictions on its use, hopefully to kind of open the, open up the gates to that where that can happen. You know, and I think that the data is very telling in the fact that this is really what we see. You know, we've what everyone says, well, there's like Dr. Furman said, well, we needed a comparator. Well, now, okay, we've done that study. And the outcome that was selected as the primary outcome was met. And so it really should hopefully kind of bring down some of those barriers that others that, that some would use to kind of maybe withhold the use of Indexa or having Indexa within the institution. Well, that and and that's very helpful, Paul, because we have to, you know, our colleagues in pharmacy, our colleagues in all areas of medicine, you know, have to be on board, if you will, with uh, the emergency physician's decision to take care of these patients through through, in this case, reversal if they're on a factor ten A inhibitor. And I wanted to talk a little bit, if we could, and Natalie, you have within this series this third wave of the real world evidence series, you presented the study that was just an XI, which was uh, just presented at uh, the World Stroke Conference. Can you talk a little bit about those three aspects of what were used to identify these patients and then what the findings were from a standpoint of, of patients that within a cranial hemorrhage in, the, in this group? Yeah, absolutely. So the trial was stopped early. The DSMB stopped the trial much sooner than expected because that primary endpoint was met. And that primary endpoint of hemostasis consisted of patients having to meet three requirements. So the first was simply a head CT requirement, and that was whether or not patients had good or excellent hemostatic efficacy based on the percent of hematoma expansion that occurred in serial head CTs. That's a great endpoint because it's very objective and um, it's adjudicated by independent people who look at those serial head CTs. And it's also a great intermediate endpoint when thinking about the pathway of these patients because it is the one endpoint that is directly impacted by anticoagulation reversal. The second component was the patients could not um, worsen by an age stroke scale of seven or more. So there was that clinical piece as well. And then the third was that they could not receive additional anticoagulation reversal or resuscitative products after reversal. So that was um, statistically significantly different between the two groups. Of course, with the induction at alpha group um, having met that endpoint more so than the usual care, which was, um, in most cases, four-factor prothrombin complex concentrates. Thank you, Natalie. And that's that gives a really nice perspective with this. I think one of the things that was found in the, the two groups was there were more thrombotic events in the group treated with indexin at alpha though, than the usual care group. But I, that probably isn't a surprise to the three of you all. And I, I wanted to first ask you, Greg, and then uh, Natalie, and then Paul, to put some some touches on this because you are obviously actively treating a patient with reverse with a reversal agent. And I want Natalie to really 
hone in on when can you restart, if you will, anticoagulation in these patients that just came in with an intracranial hemorrhage. Greg, you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, ever since we've starting started having this conversation, what often gets lost is the reason why patients are on the DOAX to begin with. And they're on it because they have a thrombotic disorder, right? They're either on it for AFib most commonly or for DBTPE. So once you reverse a patient, if you do so effectively, you're going to expose that patient to their baseline thrombotic risk. And if it's most commonly AFib, you're going to see some strokes, some, some thrombotic, some thrombotic strokes. And so it's not a surprise to any of us that once you do that, that you're going to see some ischemic strokes. I guess the question is, is when you embark on this therapy, the risk-benefit analysis uh, has to come into play. And it's a clinical decision. It really should be made by clinicians in combination with the patients and the patient's families. Well, you may make a great point. That patient with intracranial hemorrhage that before you, you, you know that if you don't reverse that, that the expansion of that hemorrhage could well be lethal. That's an important point. And uh, Natalie, talk about it from your perspective, not just that, but also how difficult it is to restart, if you will, anticoagulation for those individuals. Yeah, I think with some of these thromboembolic events, I'm personally very excited to see the full data set once the paper is published to really get a sense of which subgroup of patients that may have been um, seen the most in, as well as whether or not it was impacted by, for example, DVT prophylaxis, things like that, which we had seen in previous studies. And then lastly, just um, the severity of some of those events. I will be certainly very interested in seeing. And then in terms of restarting of coagulation, in our patients with, um, certainly with like a spontaneous ICH, it's not an easy decision to make. It should be multidisciplinary. It should you know, things like weigh-in, such as fall risk, things like that. We use has blood scores, different pieces of data to really determine whether or not it's going to be safe or even beneficial for a patient to be restarted on their anticoagulation after an ICH. It's not um, certainly a one-size-fits-all decision. Um, it really never should be. Excellent, Natalie. Thank you. Paul, you want to put a finishing touch on this? roundtable discussion from the uh, perspective of pharmacy when you're treating these patients and you you potentially do expose the patient to uh, a thrombotic risk? Yeah, I think it's it's very much kind of what Greg was mentioning. It, you know, it, it's, it's the pathophysiology of the patient, right? They are propensity to clot. We take that, uh, the protective anticoagulant away because we need to and we expose that underlying pathophysiology. We also have to remember these patients are actively bleeding. Your body's natural response to bleeding is to activate the clotting cascade and try to stop to start to stop the bleed. So you have these two things coming together. And so I would argue, right, that the event rates we see, this is this is what you know, this is what happens when you reverse somebody, when you actively go in and try and and reverse the anticoagulant effect of the drugs that's there. And they, while the, the number is lower with four-factor PCC, one could argue that since it's not reversing anything and not really treating the bleed per se, well, no, you, you know, you're, not, you're not exposing the underlying pathobiology, but you're also not getting any efficacy with that. And so I think it's important to kind of think about just the, what the, who these patients really are. And then when we give agents kind of what the 
you know, how they work and, and what that can lead to. And I think Natalie's comment about looking at the severity of these events and when they occurred and things like that, I think will also be extremely helpful in really teasing out, you know, what this all may mean. Excellent. Doctors Kreitzer, Furman, and Dobish, thank you all very much. It's been a very uh, entertaining roundtable. And thanks, everyone, for uh, watching and listening. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, EMCREG International, and Total CME LLC, and is part of our Minute CE curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.